uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, Revelation 4, 11. Now, uh, I got caught in an awkward spot. Some of you have no idea what I'm about to say. That's fine. Just let it go over your head. Some of you may say, oh, I picked this series on worship way back in June. And we actually started before uh, Matt Galvin was with us last week. So if you missed those lessons, go back, catch up with that. But I'm not speaking about worship because it's it's a reaction or a, or a comment on what anyone else is doing. I'm just, this is where God has directed me. So I wanted to say that first of all. We're going to talk about worship tonight. And again, next Wednesday night, we'll be talking about worship. This will be, because it's a Wednesday night, I can take some input. I can ask some questions and, and wait for answers. So turn your, turn your brains on. It's not going to be just a lecture. And we're going to talk about the practice of worship. Why do we worship and why do we do, we, Elmira Baptist Church, do handle worship, do worship, if you will, the way that we do it. And so maybe you've got some questions about it. And uh, this would be a great time tonight. Again, next Wednesday, you can ask questions. And if I don't know the answer, or if I haven't thought about the answer, I'll just tell you that. I'll say, hey, I haven't really thought about that. Uh, let me give me another. It, that's why if you ask him this week, I can have next week to, 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 to address those. If you ask next week, I don't know. We'll have to just see. But be glad to answer those questions. Worship is very important. So let's talk about why we worship, first of all. Why do we worship? And the first answer is here in Revelation 4, 11. So I'm going to read it to you. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We worship God because God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's certainly worthy of our gratitude and thanksgiving for all the good things that he's done for us. And there's just so many verses I could have picked. I just picked Revelation 4.11. Maybe you can think of another verse that tells us that God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our gratitude. God is worthy of our praise. Anyone out there just off the top of your head? Yeah, I know a verse. It is. Maybe that should be the homework. Mondo, do you like homework? Okay, yeah, he says, yeah, he doesn't. Marcus, tell him, you better teach him about lying, okay? <laughs> Think about that. There's so many times I'm reading the Bible and it talks about how God is worthy. It says, I will exalt thee, O Lord. I, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Just so many verses. And um, so as you're reading in your personal time over the next week or two, note those verses that remind us that God is worthy of our worship. I remember a lady in Mongolia, she was, she was the one that asked a lot of questions. And one of her questions is, why does God get worshipped all the time? You know, I, I have to admit, this is one of those things. I'd grown up in a, in a church setting. My parents were Christians before I was born. So I remember always going to church meetings and times of worship. Yeah, why does God? Well, obviously, because God is so far above his creation. We don't worship each other. We're all peers here. But God is, dwells in a whole other realm, literally, and uh, so he's worthy of our worship. And here's the second reason we worship, because God created us to worship. Do you notice that even in societies that don't worship the true God, there's this impetus, this urge to worship? Even in communist countries, my, my Mongolian friends, many of them grew up uh, under communism, uh, communism was the, the state party from 1924 until 
1989 in Mongolia, and so many of them grew up in the 70s and the 80s, and they were part of this communist uh, uh, communist regime. They weren't part of the party necessarily, and and uh, they noted to me, they said to me, yeah, we were officially an atheist country, but the state, the government, was what we worshipped. They said we would go to school and we would sing songs praising the Mongolian government. We, th- some people at work, they would start out with this anthem, this hymn, if you would, you know, praising the state for providing for them. Why do, even in an atheist country, why is there that impetus, that motivation to praise and worship something? Because God put it inside of us. And so if you don't worship God, you will probably end up worshiping something else. And I, I'm not going to go down that, that rabbit trail, but I can, you can probably think of a lot of things that Americans worship other than God because they do not worship God. Think, too, with me as we consider why we worship. Think about how many pages of Scripture is given to prescribing how to worship. Let's think together. I'll give you the first one. In Exodus, about the last half of the book of Exodus describes how to build the tabernacle, the various instruments in the tabernacle, a few of the sacrifices that will happen in the tabernacle. That's one instance Can you think of other instances in the Bible where large sections, whole chapters are given to describing how we worship or how God's people worship? Someone over here. Yes, Cara. Yeah, the whole book of Leviticus. Yes, that's right. That's what what else? Yes, Warren. Yeah, there's a section in Deuteronomy talks about worship. The um, second, no, first Chronicles chapters 22 through 27. I looked it up talks about David preparing to build the temple and all the different priests and Levites and the singers that he had gotten together and where they were going to stand and and how they were going to sing. So obviously worship is important to God, otherwise he wouldn't have had so many pages devoted in his Bible, in his book, to um, worship. How about the Psalms? There's 150 Psalms and many of them are written as songs of praise and worship to God. So, just some sampling there. The Bible tells us, by the way, that we are to magnify the Lord. Turn with me to Psalm 34, verse 3. Psalm, speaking of Psalms, Psalm 34, verse 3. Let's think about what does it mean to magnify the Lord. And let me read to you Psalm 34, 3, and then I'm going to ask you that question. Psalm 34, 3 Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Look at that first clause. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. What does it mean to magnify something? To make it bigger, right? You get a uh, telescope, a microscope, and you take something that's microscopic, and you make it visible to the human eye. You make it bigger. Except when we magnify God, what we're doing is we're focusing on his characteristics, on his attributes, on who he is and what he's done for us, and we're making a big deal about it. It's so easy when God blesses us to say, hey, thank you, Lord, and just go on with life, when we should stop and at least tell somebody else how good God was to us, how good God is to us. I'm really excited. Every time we have a food and fellowship Sunday, and then we have that time of praise and testimony, because it's a reminder about how good God is to us. And I think, as, as we're coming up on those times, is there something in particular I should share? Often I share it in the, in, the, in the sermon or the message that I have for the end. 
But I encourage you to write these things down because it's so easy to overlook God's goodness to us, overlook God's greatness. And we want to magnify him. We want to make him big. There's a second part of this verse, though. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What does exalt mean? Yeah, to lift it up, to make it high, to make it big. One, one idea is you're lifting it up so that people can easily see it, right? There's a spire on this church over here um, in, in, our, in our town, Elmira. And as I'm driving up Hawkins Road, particularly, I can see it. I can't see it so well from Elmira, Elmira Road, but see it from Hawkins Road. And, and I can see it because it's up high. And what we want to do is we want to lift God up so that people can see him clearly. We want to magnify him. We want to exalt him. That's what we do in our worship. And consider, too, finally, that all of eternity, we're going to spend worshiping God. I think we might as well start practicing now. And I don't mean that flippantly. I'm serious. Sometimes we think, what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to spend a lot of time around the throne singing God's praises. Now, we're obviously going to have better voices, praise the Lord. And I'm sure there's going to be music that we can only dream of this side of eternity. But that's what heaven is going to be about, worshiping God. So these times when we gather as a church, Wednesday is not one of those times, but Sunday morning, Sunday night, when we gather as a church to worship God, we're getting a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. An imperfect taste, but a, a, a taste of what heaven's going to be like. So let me draw some conclusions from these statements, and I'm going to make these statements pause, give you a chance to think about them. Maybe they spark a question, or maybe you want to add to them. But first thing I want to note is that worship is not about me. Worship is about God. We come to magnify the Lord. We come to exalt Him. We come because He is worthy. So worship is about God. Therefore, I should not come to worship thinking, what do I like or dislike about this worship? Because the worship isn't about me. I come to the worship thinking about God, who He is, His greatness, what He's done for me. Worship is not about me, it's about God. So occasionally, you know, I'll be following up with someone who's visited our church, and they'll say something like, well, I didn't really like your worship. Okay, I mean, I I get that. I'm not offended. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't keep coming. (laughs) Because it's not about what you like, right? Worship isn't about what I like. Second thing about worship. Worship is propositional, not emotional. Worship is propositional, not emotional. Proposition. There's a statement that we're making about God in our worship. That's what worship is. It's a proposition. It's saying something about God. Our words that we sing say something about God. Also, the music that the words are set to says something about God. Because music has meaning. And and you say, how do you know that? Because Tchaikovsky wrote a piece of music called Peter and the Wolf. How many of you heard that? Peter and the Wolf, it tells a story. How many words are in that piece of music, Warren? Zero. But it tells a story. The 1812 Overture, also by Tchaikovsky, tells the story about Napoleon's invasion of Russia and the Russian defeat of the French Grand Army. And it has zero words. Music has a message in it. And uh, I've, I've spoken about this before. So the words that we sing have a message, make a statement about God. The music itself makes a statement about the God that we're worshiping. The words we say, 
when we read Holy Scripture as part of the Scripture reading, um, has something to say about God. And even our actions have something to say about who God is. Our actions when we come to worship have something to say about who God is. So it's a proposition. John 4.24 says this, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth is always propositional. Truth isn't about how you feel, is it? The truth is either, I mean, a statement's either true or it's false. It's not, I feel like, this should be, no, it's not feeling. It's, it's truth is, is either true or, well, not true. A statement is either true or it's false. So the statements we make about God, we want them to be true. It's propositional. It's not emotional. So again, sometimes people will complain to me, not complain, but just have a comment. People that are new to our, to our church and, and, and our way of worship will say something like, you know, I just don't feel much when I come. Okay, again, I, I'm not offended. It doesn't bother me. What are you saying? I get the feeling, my, my thought is, that my opinion is they're saying, I ought to feel something when I come to worship. But again, worship is not emotional. Worship is propositional. Turn with me to Psalm 100. I'm going to pause for a second. I told you I'd pause between each statement here. Psalm 100. Psalm 100 in verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Come before his presence with singing. Then skip down to verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Take those three clauses. Come before his presence with singing. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And boil them down to one statement. When we worship, what are we doing? When we worship, what are we doing? We are praising Him, too. True. But come into His... Let me read it again. Come into His presence with singing. Verse 4. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. What's the word picture that He's giving us here? We are glorifying Him. But no, no, no. Think about it. Think about this as if, um, I see that hand, just a second. Um, think about this as, where, what, are, what are courts and what are gates? Yeah, there's a building, right? And it's a doorway, a gate is a doorway, and the court would be the, the place where you meet somebody, where, where they, they greet you. So we're going into a building, into his courts. We're, uh, yes, we're going through a gate and into his courts, and we're entering into his presence. We're meeting worship. Part of worship is meeting with God. And we have a holy God. Just all of his attributes. He brings those to this worship. And when we come to him, we, we ought to be in awe. In reverential awe of that God that we're meeting with. So there's a, there's a theory. Um, yeah, theory popular among churches. Um, that says you want unsaved people to feel comfortable when they come into your time of worship. You know, people that are not Christians, you know, your friend from work, your, your, your neighbor that you've invited, they ought to feel comfortable when they, they come into church. Now, let me ask you a question. If you could literally, and in a physical sense, have your unsaved friend meet with God, 
Do you think they'd feel comfortable? AJ? No, I don't think they'd feel very comfortable. I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel comfortable meeting with God. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that I'm worthy to meet with him. It's not because I'm a good person. It's because Jesus died in my place, rose again, that I can meet with him, right? So your unsaved neighbor may say to you, oh, you know, I, I went to your worship. Boy, it's sort of weird. I wouldn't be surprised because we have part of worship. We are meeting with God. We are coming into his presence. And it's going to be, unless they've had a very unusual upbringing, it's going to be very unlike anything they've experienced before. Think about what 2 Corinthians 6.14 says. Uh, let me read you that passage, 2 Corinthians 6.14-16. through 16. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel, with an unbeliever? What part hath the temple of God with idols? I don't expect that people who are not Christians will come into our time of worship and, and, and get into it. And feel like they, they can be a part of it. We don't worship on Sunday mornings so that they feel comfortable. We don't worship on Sunday nights so they feel comfortable. There are times we do things so that they'll feel more comfortable. A good example was uh, Matt, Matt Galvin's family night. You know, that, that isn't really a time of worship. That isn't a time of worship at all. <laughs> He's just having fun. He's just trying to get people involved, trying to, to, to break down their natural um, um, defenses to hearing the gospel preached. And I get that. And I, I, that's why we do it. That's not a time of worship. And so maybe your friend comes and says, hey, if every time you met it was like Friday night, I'd be there. I get it. I do. I'm, again, I'm not offended. I'm not surprised even. It's like, oh, I can't believe they said that. That, that, that makes sense to me. Because... Friday night with its games and it's, it's, it's just a looser uh, approach to, to, to gathering, that's what they're going to feel comfortable with. But that isn't worship, is my point. So when we come to the end of our time of worship, Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, we come to the end of our time of worship, the question we should ask ourselves is not, what do I think of today's worship? How do I feel at the end of today's worship? The question we should ask ourselves is, what does God think about our worship? Was God pleased with our worship? What does God think about the worshipers who met today to worship Him? That, that's what is the important question that we want to answer each time that we worship. And frankly, worship takes discipline, it takes a commitment, and it takes intentional effort. Keep those words in mind as we talk now through our time of worship. It takes discipline, it takes commitment, and it takes intentional effort. And when it comes to worshiping God on Sunday morning, we meet at 11 to worship Him. Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, we meet at 5 o'clock to worship Him. It really, for me, I can tell you for me, it really starts the night before. Why do you think that is? And maybe you've experienced the same thing. So why is that true for you? Why do you think that's true for me? That my worship of God on Sunday morning starts the night before. Anyone brave enough to take a guess at that? Uh, can I pick on somebody? Can I, Andrew, can I pick on you? Yeah. Well, why do you think? Just take a wild stab in the dark. By the way, I'm bantering so you can think, okay? Uh, just take a wild stab in the dark. Why does Pastor Scott really feel for me that worship on Sunday morning starts on Saturday night? Any ideas? Well, I would say that worship on Sunday morning, it starts on Saturday night because, um, like, 
on Saturday, on Saturday night, you kind of have to like make a decision about like whether you're really going to worship, to church to worship, or just to be there and mm -hmm. check the check the box. Check the box. And you, you have to do that every day. Is decide. True. Well, am I going to like actually worship, or am I just going to like go to the events just to say that I did? Mm -hmm. He hit something on the head that I didn't address, and that is we worship God privately every day. I'm just talking about corporate worship when we gather on Sundays so that we can stay focused on that particular event, but he's right about that. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Good answer. There's some other things I want to get to about Saturday night. Let's imagine that uh, you enjoy horror movies. Now, I don't enjoy horror movies, but let's imagine you do. Let's imagine you enjoy horror movies, and so you decide you're going to stay up and watch the late show, the horror movies, until 2 or 3 in the morning. And then you're going to go to bed. If you stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning watching horror shows, what frame of mind are you going to wake up in on Sunday morning? Or number one, what time are you going to wake up on Sunday morning? <laughs> and then number two, what, what, what's going through your head when you wake up on Sunday morning? And that's true. It doesn't have to be, you say, well, horror movies, Christians ought not to watch those. And I agree with you. I, I use that one because it's an extreme. But anytime I watch a movie, anytime I spend time watching something on a screen, I know that all night long my mind is processing that. I have dreams about it. I wake up in the morning thinking about what I saw the night before. Now, if it was good material, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and I, I try to be very careful about what I let into my eye gate and into my ear gate. So uh, let, let's just say that up front. But still, I'm focused on what goes on that night all through the night and into the next morning. So what I want to do is I want to start on Saturday night beginning to focus on God and His Word and worshiping Him so that all night long I'm thinking about that and then I wake up Sunday morning thinking, boy, I'm, I, I, I'm ready for this. I, this is what I want. Now, sometimes I wake up Sunday morning. Matt and I were talking about this uh, earlier this week. Sometimes he wakes up Sunday morning. Sometimes I wake up Sunday morning and, you know, I don't feel like coming to church. You say, you're the pastor. I know, it's terrible. I don't feel like coming to church. No, but again, worship is not emotional. It's propositional. God hasn't changed. My emotions, my feelings may have changed. God hasn't changed. So I'm going to get up Sunday morning and I'm going to be here regardless of how I feel. But let me tell you, I feel a whole lot better usually. I'm, I'm not feel better. I, I'm, my mind and my heart is primed, is prepared to meet with God. Because part of worship is entering into his presence. And to worship him on Sunday morning is Saturday night. I've spent it in the right frame of mind. Now, I'm not saying, you know, after 5 o'clock on Saturday, you should not do any... You know, this is between you and the Holy Spirit, how you handle your Saturday evenings. But I'm just telling you, if, if you wake up Sunday morning tired and, and worried about whatever you experienced the night before, maybe you need to change what you've experienced the night before as much as you can. There's a second thing you can do on Saturday night, especially for those of you that have children, and that is I really encourage you to set out clothes, set up books, Set out Bibles, set out shoes the night before, because you know what morning is the most likely morning to not be able to find something you critically need? Sunday morning. And then the child gets upset, or you get upset at the child, and it just adds to the chaos and the confusion of the morning. So anything you can do to set out things the night before, oh, I forgot, we, you know, we didn't wash that, okay, we can do that, or we, we're going to have to make a change of plan so that 
When you get up Sunday morning, the kids know where their clothes are. They know where their Bible is. If they have a book for their class, they know where all those things are. And it doesn't have to be a point of contention. Now, trust me, Satan is at work. Your flesh is at work. And you're going to find contention on Sunday morning anyway. But let's not add to it is my point. So those are some ways that even the night before, I can ask God, God, give me thoughts all night long about you and your greatness and your goodness. Wake me up in the morning, excited, eager to go and meet with your people to worship you. Wake up the next morning, regardless of how I feel, I'm going to get up and I'm going to be here. And and that's important. So that's the first thing I want to talk about when we want to be disciplined, we want to be committed, and we want to be intentional in our worship. Andrew, did you have something to add? Oh, oh, sorry. (laughs) People scratch their heads and then I call on them. Be careful, don't scratch your head. (laughs) Second thing, even before the worship starts at 11, I think there are ways that we can honor God and show the importance of worship in our life. And what, 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 what might that be? Even before 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, and that's the key word, before 11 o'clock in the morning, what, what's a way that we can show that this is important to us and that we want to be here to worship? Andrew. Yeah, get up, get up in plenty of time to be here early, right? I know uh, there's a lady here. I, I, I'm not going to point her out, but I know some of you, you, you have one of those schedules where you're up until 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning, Monday through Saturday. And so it's really hard to get up early on Sunday morning. I get that. But it's got to be important to us, right? It's got to be important to us. If you're just sort of dragging yourself out of bed at 10, 15, boy, I sure hope I can make it there by 11. You know what you're telling me? It's just not that important. Peter, you had something you wanted to say or add or ask. That says, guard your heart for all things of value, flow through it. Mm-hmm. So Saturday night or Sunday morning, if we shift from our head to our heart, Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 How many have ever gone to a sporting event? Uh, a, a professional sporting event, you know, an A's game or something, okay. Uh, how many of you showed up late to that game? Okay, a couple of you, yeah, great. You know, I, I, I've had a couple of uh, opportunities to go to a uh, Seattle um, uh, football game, to, to a Portland Trailblazer basketball game, a couple of b- baseball games, and I don't know about you, I always either bought the ticket or someone who loved me bought a ticket for me. And tickets are expensive, Parking is expensive. I want to get my money's worth. So I try to show up early so that I can find my seat and be there when the game starts. Now, some of you are probably like, I I try to come in late because then by that time everyone else is seated and I can avoid all the crowds. Good for you. Please don't do that on Sunday mornings. (laughs) I'm not saying that people who are late are less godly than I am. I am saying if it's important to you, you make, make it here early. You won't just be sliding in the door at 11 o'clock. There's a second reason I want to encourage you to be early, and that is, for me, some of the blessing of meeting on Sunday morning is the fellowship we have with each other before the service even begins. Sharing how God answered prayer, maybe sharing a burden, something that's been weighing you down all week, asking for someone to pray with you. If you just show up at 11 o'clock, you're going to miss those opportunities. So I encourage you, don't just wait until the last minute to, to, to get here. Show up early. Then the second thing we, we do, or the first thing we do after 11 o'clock, is congregational singing. Uh, we're, we're not going to get through all of the points I have about congregational singing, but let me just say this. Congregational singing is the primary way that the congregation praises God on, on other times of worship, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. It's the primary way. 
And if you have visited a church, and again, I'm, I'm, if you visit a church with a worship team, they have a bunch of people up on the platform, and, and those people are really good singers because you put really good singers on your worship team typically. I have noticed as I look around the church to observe other people that most people are watching and listening to these people up here singing, and they're not singing. And I want to encourage you, that's why we put ugly men here to lead songs. So you're not distracted and you can focus on you singing your praise to God. Now, I'm being silly about the ugly men. Caleb, don't turn my mic off, okay? Um, you know, singing is not to be impressed with the music. It's not even to feel anything, although I, the Holy Spirit is gracious and oftentimes there is, a, there is a feeling of lifting my spirit to the Lord in the singing. The purpose of the singing, again, is propositional. To make statements about who God is and about how we feel about Him and to ask for His blessing. So, when you come on Sunday mornings, don't come prepared to just listen. Come prepared to sing in the congregational singing. Now, I know some of you can't sing. You just can't sing. If you can't sing, please don't join the choir. And I mean that, okay? But when it comes to congregational singing, you just sing out. What Christy knows, we attended a church for a while. There was a lady, she could not sing uh, for, if her life depended on him. It, it isn't anyone here, but someone else. Couldn't, couldn't sing if her life depended on it. And, and so I would always tell my wife, we need to sit behind her. <laughs> because when I sat in front of her, I had her voice in my ear. It was really hard for me to stay on, on tune. So we just sit behind her. But I, I never said to her, hey, can, can you sing less loudly? No, 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 because God wants us to sing out. Let's, let's look at a verse here, um, uh, Psalm 33. We're in Psalm 100. Go to Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verse 1 says this, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely. It's appropriate. It looks good for the, uh, not looks good, not appearance is important. It's, it's appropriate. It fits in with the lifestyle of the upright. It is comely for the upright. Verse 2, praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. By the way, there are churches that don't allow musical instruments as part of their congregational singing. I, this is why I disagree with them. I think that there's room in our worship for instruments to play. Verse 3, sing unto him a new song, Play skillfully, so we do want to play skillfully, we want to do our best with a loud noise. We want to be bold in our singing. Don't hold back. I know somebody said to me recently, well, the room is so small, I don't really want to sing too loudly. Just sing out, okay? Uh, if we get so it's loud and people's hearing is being damaged, then maybe we'll ask you to back off. But I want you to sing boldly when we sing as a congregation. I want you to, to enter into the music, to sing wholeheartedly. Now, I don't mean you need to sing at the top of your voice. You need to sing just as loudly as you can. I'm not saying that. I am singing. I am saying to sing boldly, to be excited about it. I pray. One of my regular prayers is that God will give us an excitement, give us, Elmira Baptist Church, an excitement and an enthusiasm to praise Him when we sing congregationally on Sunday morning. Because singing to God comes out of a Spirit-filled life. Singing to God is a natural result of being filled with the Spirit. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to pick it up in verse 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. But notice what it says right after that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 again. 
Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then the next word is a gerund, which means right after being filled with the Spirit. This is what's normal. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are filled with the Spirit... You are going to speak to other people in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're going to sing, making melody uh, in, in your heart to the Lord, and you're going to give thanks. That's just, that's a natural result when you're filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with wine, when you're drunk, it's just natural to slur your words and to stumble about and say everything that comes to your mind. And that's all, that's evil. So God tells us, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, and you're going to speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You are going to sing. You are going to make melody in your heart to the Lord. You are going to give thanks. So when you come on Sunday morning, I'm not asking you to sing out so that you can impress the rest of us. Or, you know, we need to impress the people that are here. It has nothing to do with that. If you come with the right attitude, and you come asking the Holy Spirit to fill you, it's just going to be natural for you to sing out. And by the way, that's why we sing on, one of the reasons, there are other reasons, but one of the reasons we sing on Sundays, we sing on Wednesday nights, we sing on Sunday nights, is to give you songs that you can sing during the week when you're filled with the Spirit. Because you're not just called to be filled with the Spirit on Sundays, or Sundays and Wednesday nights. So when you're filled with the Spirit on Monday afternoon, what are you going to sing? I was reading about a pastor, uh, I was reading about a pastor and he was sharing about how his, he, he was resigning his pastor and he was leaving a church. So the last service, he said, was so meaningful to me. He said, we had great music. And these are the three groups he listed. We had Beatles, Coldplay, and U2. Now, I don't even know who Coldplay and U2 are, and I only know the Beatles because, I mean, who doesn't know the Beatles, right? But seriously, that's the type of music you choose to worship God with? I don't understand. I, I really don't. So... My guess is, the problem is, I don't know this pastor personally, uh, he's actually from Virginia, uh, my, my guess is he listens to U2, Coldplay, and Beatles during the week, so that's what's meaningful to him. But guess what? If you're singing God's praises during the week, Monday through Saturday, and you come filled with the Spirit on Sunday morning, and you sing the praises with everyone else, that is exciting. Because singing by myself just doesn't excite me. But singing with all of you, now that's fun. And I don't mean fun like enjoyable. What I mean by fun is that's what gets me going, right? That's when you feel your blood pumping. and This is great. Let's do this again. One of the reasons I enjoy the two-minute warning, uh, and, and man, that's coming up here in November. Don't forget, you can go to their website, thetwominutewarning.org, to sign up. One of the reasons I enjoy it, we have hundreds of men there and we're all singing these hymns and these songs of praise to God. It's just, it's just great. Went to a, a, a gathering one time at the Memorial Coliseum in Portland and we sung a hymn in there and just, just there was thousands of Christians there and it just shook, well it didn't shake the building, not literally, but it felt like you were just shaking the building. It, it, it's great. We went with some... Uh, there was a group of pastors that met at the state capitol, and we were outside, so the sound just seemed to die away. But we were just singing our hearts out, and I just love singing with people. If you don't enjoy singing with people, I don't know how to help you. But here's what I want you to realize, that singing to God comes out of a spirit-filled life. It's an expression of a spirit-filled life. And so if you are spirit-filled Monday through Saturday, you're going to be singing something, and it shouldn't be the Beatles, Coldplay, and U2. 
So you're going to need something to sing, and that's why we sing. So you have some songs to sing. Now, you don't have to sing only songs out of this hymn book. That's not my point. But uh, what are you going to sing? Think about the kinds of songs that you sing. There are songs that we sing, and again, it has nothing to do with our hymn book, just as Christians over the centuries. There are songs that we sing that remind us of a specific event in Christian history and God's work among his people. Uh, Let me give you some examples. Only a boy named David. Right? That is not a song of praise to God. But it is a song about God at work in David's life to slay a, a, a giant. Another song we sing, One Day, One Day When Heaven Was Filled With His Praises, One Day When Sin Was As Black As Could Be. That's another song singing about an event, Jesus coming down to earth, born as a baby. Um, Almost all of our Christmas songs fall into this category of songs that remind us of a specific event in Bible history, remind us that our God was at work in the past, and the same God that's at work in the past is still at work today. There are songs we sing like that. There are songs that we sing that express our testimony of God's goodness to us. Um, yeah, they, they express our testimony of God's goodness to us. I'm going to give you one, and then I want you to give me one. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. That's talking about me. But it's my testimony of God's work in my heart. What's another song like that that gives our testimony of God's work in our life? Patty. It is well with, yes, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Again, a testimony of God's work in my life. Christina, is that a hand? Go ahead. Amazing grace. Yes, that saved a wretch like me. Peter. I don't know if I got the name right, but no longer I have Christ in me. You know, I don't know that song, but that sounds like the right one, the right category. Yes. Warren. Yes, wherever he leads, I'll go. My commitment. To God, okay? There are songs like that. There are songs that call on God to do something. Uh, in this category, I put a song like, More Love to Thee, O Christ, right? We're, we're, it's our prayer to God that He would give us a greater love for Him. What are some other songs that would fall into this category? Songs that, are, that could be considered prayers to God? Yes, Andrew. Uh, there was one we sang a couple weeks ago about revival. Yeah. Yeah, asking God to send revival, yep. Warren again? Yeah, take my life and let it be, yeah. Marcos, is that yours? Yeah, higher ground. Um, The other one I have down on my list is we gather together. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. We all do extol thee, thou leader triumphant. So these are all songs that are, are prayers to God. They call on God to do something. Then there are some songs, and we sang one tonight, that directly express our praise for God and our worship of God. What's an example of that? Songs, I mean, just directly to God. Yes, Patty. Yeah, crown him with many crowns. That's on my list. You, you read my notes, didn't you? <laughs> crown him with many crowns. Yes, Christina. Yeah, holy, holy, holy. That song we sang Sunday morning. Again, directly addressing God. Uh, or, or at least talking about God to other people. So it's not important that we categorize the songs. I just want you to be thinking about the words as we sing. Is the song my testimony about God's work in my life? 
Uh, is this song about us asking God to do something in our life? Is this song directed to God, singing his praises? Um, is this song about a specific event in Bible history? And the reason I want you to think about it is so you'll think about the words you're singing. And not like if you categorize them, you get bonus points. It doesn't matter if the, I don't even, these categories are not biblical. They're just my, some my thoughts I had. But, but, but if you will think about what category does the song go in, you'll probably be thinking, well, what are we singing about? And that is important. Because especially if you've been in church a long time, you begin to sing these songs without even thinking about the words, right? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and I have no idea, what am I singing about? That should never happen. It should always be intentional when I sing with the congregation. I should be intentional when I sing because I'm filled with the Spirit Monday through Saturday, but it should definitely be intentional. You should be intentional when you sing these songs and think about the words you're singing. Um, I, I had one guy say, if I, can't, if I can't agree with the song, I just don't sing it. I'm not sure I would go that far. But I do know sometimes I'm singing a song and I'm thinking, this does not really express my heart to God. Don't think it expresses well who God is. Uh, we, we, we want to avoid those songs because our singing ought to be intentional, not just random. I'm going to have a lot more to say uh, about the rest of the service. And I have a little bit more to say about, um, about singing but any final thoughts that you have or questions that have come up as we've been talking about worship that you'd like to ask t tonight, and then I'll write those down and I'll try to answer those next Wednesday. Worship is so essential to what a church is. Therefore, worship is so essential to what Elmira Baptist Church is. That I, 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 you, if you've been here any length of time, you probably say, well, you preached about this before. Yeah, and you'll hear it again. Probably in about another year, 18 months. I'll preach about it again because it's so essential. I don't want us to ever just go through the motions of worship without seriously considering what are we doing? 